Well, do you know what it's like to have unattained goals or unfinished projects or dormant dreams? Uh, have you ever gotten tired in the journey? Maybe you're tired of doing the right thing. Maybe you're tired of maybe even being married. You're tired of working so hard. You're tired of praying for the breakthrough and not seeing the results that you had hoped for. You're tired of being sick. You're tired of not getting what you want. <clears throat> if you've ever felt these things, you're going to love today what we're going to look at from Zechariah chapter 4. I want you to open your Bibles today to the fourth chapter of that minor prophet. It's the second to last book of the Old Testament, <clears throat> Zechariah. And a lot of us don't even know how to spell Zechariah. It's a book of the Bible that's not read very much. But God has a great word to say to us today about spirit over strength. And to give you a little background of what's going on here in the book of Zechariah, <clears throat> um, Solomon's temple, the great edifice, the crowning achievement of King David in laying the plans and Solomon in building it was desecrated. It was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar took the brightest, the most educated, the most sophisticated leaders in Israel. He took them all back to Babylon. And so now the people of God, the Israelites, have been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. The Babylonian Empire is defeated. The Persian Empire takes over. And the Persian king says, you know what? I'm going to let the Jewish people go back to their homeland. They like Jerusalem. They want to rebuild their temple. Good for them. And so Nehemiah goes and he rebuilds the walls around the city of Jerusalem. But then after that, the people are like, you know, we got the walls up, but we need the house of God. We need the house of worship. We don't have a place to gather anymore. And so the people begin to make plans to rebuild the temple, the second temple. And uh, the governor's name Zerubbabel. Everybody say Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is the governor of Jerusalem. And so he starts rebuilding the temple. But the enemy peoples that had taken over the city of Jerusalem during the captivity years... They didn't like it. They didn't want the Jewish people to have the house of worship. They didn't want the city of Jerusalem to be reestablished because it was a threat. And so they did everything that they could possibly do to, to, to hinder the development and the building of that second temple. So Zerubbabel gives it a shot. He kind of gets the project going. He has the blessing of the Persian king. But because of some political problems that come up, the building of the temple is halted. And now it's been 15 years, something like 15 years. And the temple has just maintained, it's just been this, this pile of rubble. And it's in that moment that God raises up a prophet by the name of Zechariah who has a vision about the rebuilding of the temple. And in the Old Testament, many times you have prophets and you have kings or you have governors that work together. Amen? How many of you know that our government would be better if we had a word from God? Yeah, it would be a lot better. We need to, we need to study the Old Testament. So you have Zechariah the prophet, the man of God, and he's giving counsel to Zerubbabel, the governor, about the rebuilding of the temple. And it is in the middle of that that this project looks impossible. We already tried it and it didn't work. 
It's too big. It's, it's, it, 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 it's too much responsibility. It's too hard. The, the political pressure is too great. We can't do it. And then furthermore, you have the Jewish people that are saying, well, you know what? Even if you rebuild the temple, it won't be as good as Solomon's temple. So what good is it? You know, your little shrinky temple will be a cheap imitation of the big bad temple of Solomon. So there's problems within and there's problems without amongst the people that are, that are not believers. The, 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 the other folks that took over the land of Jerusalem that are still there. And it just doesn't look good. But it's in that moment that God does some of his greatest work in our life. And I want you to, to look with me at uh, Zechariah chapter 4. Um, but I want to share with you three thoughts today that I think are going to help us achieve everything that God has called us to do. And I've titled the message, Spirit Over Strength. And here's the first point. I have a problem. I have a problem. Now, if you look in the book of Ezra, Ezra is written during the time of Zechariah. So Ezra gives us insight into what's going on um, over in the other book in in Zechariah. But look look what Ezra chapter 4 verse 4 and 5 says. Then the people who were already in the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. They also bribed the officials to act against them to frustrate their plans throughout the region of King Cyrus of Persia and until the reign of King Darius of Persia. How many of you know this? Anytime you attempt to do a great thing for God, there will always be detractors. There will always be people that want to suppress and put down the good that you're doing. And Ezra highlights this for us that the bribed officials, so they're paying off the politicians to to frustrate the plans. They, They want to make it as hard as they can for the Israelites to build the temple. And um, every one of us has a problem. Okay, you may not be building a temple, but you have a point of frustration. You have a situation in your life. It's not going according to how you think it should be going. Um, It's harder than you thought. How many of you have started a project before and you thought, oh, I'll, I'll get this done in a reasonable amount of time and it'll be easy. And then you get into it and you're like, this is a lot bigger than I thought it was. If you've ever felt that before, you have a problem. You know, a lot of the problems that we have in life are not problems that we picked. Sometimes the problems pick us. You go to the doctor and you get a bad report or, or, or you, you lose your job or you're in the middle of a financial crisis. You have a problem. I was talking a few years ago with a, a pastor friend of mine. I was frustrated with some of the things that were going on in our church. And uh, he said, Ryan, this is a great you're in a perfect situation for a miracle from God. And I was like, well, I didn't wake up thinking that this morning, you know. He was like, yeah, he was like, just think about it. Okay, like in the Bible, does God ever perform a miracle when things are going great? I I was thinking about it. I thought, you know, Daniel's friends are in the fiery furnace and they're delivered but they could have never been delivered and seen the glory of God if they had not been put into the fire in the first place. Amen? God's greatest work in your life is when things are hard. 
when things are difficult. So I want to say to you what my friend said to me a few years ago. You're in a great, excuse me, you are in a great place for God to do a miracle. You're in a great place for it. You have a problem, but you have a great God. You have a great God. So maybe your marriage is broken. Maybe your career is struggling. Maybe your finances are hurting. That is a perfect place for God to step in, which brings us to number two, which is simply this. I have the Holy Spirit. See, I have a problem. That's the bad news. But I want to give you some good news today. If you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is that third personality of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And thank goodness, God did not call us to live the Christian life on our own. God has given us the Spirit as His divine empowerment to accomplish everything that He has put before us. If you've ever thought, you know, the Christian life is impossible. Maybe you're trying to live the Christian life apart from the Spirit. With the Spirit operating in your life, you can do things that you could never do naturally. Listen, God has called you to a supernatural life. Supernatural joy. Supernatural strength. Your friends are saying, how does he keep getting up every day and facing those problems? You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit. And it is the Spirit of God that is enabling you to fulfill the purposes that God has put before you. And listen, when the Holy Spirit is operating in your life and you are doing what God has called you to do, you cannot be stopped. So this temple project is on delay, but it's not going to be destroyed. Okay, And here's what the prophet says. So he answered me, Zechariah 4, 6. This is what the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. In other words, you're not going to build the temple by your own military might. You're not going to build the temple by your own ingenuity. It's going to happen by the spirit of God. Now, when the Bible speaks of might in the language of the Old Testament, it speaks of a collective resources, like an army. So he says, you're not going to build the temple by assembling a mass group of people. You know, we're going to just build the biggest army. We're going to have the smartest generals. We're going to have the best architects. We're going to get the whole group together, and it's going to be magnificent. No, 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 no. He says, It's not by might. And he says, and it's also not by power, which is individual strength. Individual strength. And so it's not going to be done by having the group. And it's not going to be done by the individual. It's going to be done by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what's going to do it. Not by creativity. Not by personality. Not by education, not by experience, not by expertise, 
by the Spirit. How is the project going to get done? By the Spirit. And the Spirit can do things that we cannot. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Or how does the Holy Spirit operate? Let's look at that. A couple of things here. I want you to give you three or four things. The Spirit of God flows in our life. The Spirit of God flows. There's always plenty of the Holy Spirit. You know, thank goodness God never said you only get a little quota. (laughs) You know, like, like you went over. Like you used a whole year's worth of the Holy Spirit in January, you know. Sorry, you got 11 months left to try to figure it out. Okay, the Holy Spirit flows. Now, Zechariah gets a vision. And in this vision, in Zechariah chapter 4, there is two olive trees and a lampstand. And in the temple, the temple is lit by lampstands. And they would take olive oil. And the olives would be crushed and it would create oil and it would illuminate the temple. So in the vision, Zechariah sees the lampstand that goes in the temple. And it's connected to two olive trees with a conduit. And and in that vision, God is telling Zechariah that there is a constant stream and there is a constant supply of oil for the light. Now in the Bible, oil always represents the Spirit. So he gets this vision right around verse 6 and 7, which says, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And the conduit of the two trees is connecting it to the lampstand, which is implying that there is a constant source of oil. There is always enough of the Holy Spirit. Like you, you, you never run out. Of the Holy Spirit. Now, see, our problem is we're not dependent on the Holy Spirit. But that's not on God, that's on us. If we would learn to be more spirit dependent, the Holy Spirit would do more in our life. But there's always a flow of the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit empowers. He empowers us. Um, that's why in 2 Timothy 1 7, it says, God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's enabling presence in our lives. Um, The Holy Spirit lubricates. You know, um, back to this idea of oil, you know, and and there's oil in the lampstand. My granddad was a locksmith, and and there was a few times I went with him um, to do his little locksmithing jobs when I was a kid. And I would literally see my granddad go look at a lock. And if it was an old lock and it was real dry and crusty, he would go get silicone spray. And he would spray it into the lock and it would lubricate it. And he didn't, oftentimes he didn't even have to take the lock off of the door to fix it. And people were just so astounded by that. Well, sometimes in life, we need to be lubricated, right? There's friction in our life. And the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to, 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 to smooth things out and to, again, accomplish those things that God's put before us. So the Spirit empowers, the Spirit accomplishes. Look at verse 7 of Zechariah chapter 4. What are you, great mountain, before Zerubbabel, 
you will become a plane. Listen, man, when the Spirit of God gets involved, things start to move. Things start to shake. Things start to happen. We, we, we've been waiting for 15 years, and we don't know what to do to build the temple. All of a sudden, the Spirit starts shaking. Okay, we're about to get this thing done. I mean, the Spirit of God is going to enable you to do what God has purposed for you to do. Every single thing. The Spirit of God illuminates. He lights our path in this vision. The oil coming through that conduit from the olive trees illuminates on that on that lampstand. And, and there's light. And listen, when the Holy Spirit is moving in your life, He will illuminate the path and He will show you the steps in which you need to see. You're not walking in the darkness. You're walking in the light of the Spirit. But see, too many times we settle for our own self-effort. We are more comfortable doing our own things more than we are relying on the Holy Spirit. And your self-effort is a cheap substitute for the Spirit of God. Have you ever bought something that was like the discount knockoff brand only to, to regret it? Have you ever done that before? I was talking to Gina last night. Gina, Gina's, my wife, is an identical twin, and so growing up, you know, there were no hand-me-downs because it was just her and her sister, so whenever mom and dad had to buy something, they had to buy two, and, and there was no big brother or big sister to hand stuff down, so, so th th all the kids at school were wearing these cool boat shoes, you know, back in the day, and, and Gina and her sister wanted to have some boat shoes, and they told their mom, and so... Her mom always bought her shoes at Payless, and she took her to Payless and, and bought her the boat shoes, and they were made out of pleather. Does everybody know what pleather is? Pleather, that's a nice way of saying it. Pleather is really plastic. Plastic is, is it's just brown plastic is what it is. I mean, it looks like leather, but it is plastic. And she said that she wore them to school the next day, and because they were pleather, they squeaked. Because she had the plastic shoes on. Squeak, 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 squeak. All of her classmates could hear her coming down the hall, her and her sister. Squeak, squeak, squeak. And then they cracked. And she said, oh, I just wish that I would have bought the leather shoes. It would have cost a little bit more money. But my shoes wouldn't crack and my shoes wouldn't squeak. <clears throat> I wonder how many times we settle for pleather over leather. How many times do we say, I think I have this under control. I, I, I'm a smart guy. I got some experience. I, I know people. I'm educated. I, 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 I've been through some things before. I got this kind of all figured out. And maybe this was the problem of the Israelites, but it was in the middle of that that Zechariah reminds them, it, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. See, there's two extremes when it comes to getting things done. Some people work harder. I'm going to put more elbow grease into it. I'm going to show up early. I'm going to stay late. I'm going to make it happen. And then some people... And Christian people do this a lot, become super spiritual. And I mean that like in a bad way. Like sometimes people sit around and they're like, I am waiting on 
God. And so that means I'm going to sit by the pool and get a tan and drink my favorite drink and stare into the sky and angels are going to show up and make all of this happen. And Christian people can be one side or the other. You know, if you're in the work harder camp, you can be a Christian, but you can live like an atheist. Did you know that? When it comes to letting the Spirit of God operate in your life and doing your own thing, and, 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 and you can believe in Jesus, but if you're making all your own decisions and the Spirit of God's not leading and directing you, what, what have we accomplished? What have we done? The super spiritual side sometimes says let go and let God. God works in and through us. Okay, Angels didn't show up and build the temple. But it was divinely empowered by God. And God uses people. God uses people to accomplish tasks. But God uses people who are full of the Holy Spirit. That's who God uses. Now, how do you know if you're relying on the Holy Spirit? One thing is we have to be convinced of our dependency on God. Here's a great, here's a great determining factor. Do you really believe that if God is not in the picture, your project is not going to happen? Do you believe that, you know what, if things aren't going well, I'll kind of figure it out? Or do you really believe that to run your business and to run your family, you have to have God? I mean, apart from him, I'm nothing. I'm totally dependent on God. I, I'm not avoiding my responsibilities, but I just realize that ultimately, if God is not in the picture, we are all toast. So I'm dependent on God. That's how you know you are relying on the Holy Spirit. Number two, you're able to relax. Because see, you understand that you can't manage in every nuance and in every detail. So, so, so you're able to sleep at night because the Holy Spirit is going to fill in the gaps. The Holy Spirit is going to lead you. The Holy Spirit's going to empower you. The Holy Spirit is watching over you. The Holy Spirit is aiding you and helping you so you can rest. You can relax. And then when you're dependent on the Holy Spirit, you spend more time thanking and praising God for all the things that he's doing. And that's how you know you're living dependent on the Spirit. So check this out. I have the Holy Spirit. I have a problem. But here's the, sec here's the third thing. When the Holy Spirit meets my problems, it's all grace. It's all grace. Look at verse 7 again. What are you, great mountain before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain. And he will bring out the capstone accompanied by shouts of grace, grace to it. When you bring out the capstone, the capstone is the final stone of the project. You celebrate the capstone because that means that the temple is finished. The capstone is the last stone. That's the final one. So he says, listen, when the project gets done, everybody's going to look around and go, grace, grace. 
Not a little bit of grace. Double grace. Vente Trenta grace. Big gulp grace. Grace, grace. Grace to the second power. Not just a little grace, but a lot of grace. See, when you're relying on the Holy Spirit, guess what happens? You look around and you're like, that was grace. That was grace. We got that thing done. That was grace. That was grace. That was grace. That, grace is getting what we don't deserve. That was grace. So Zechariah says, listen, when this thing gets finished, when you complete the temple, you're going to look around and you're going to say, grace, 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 grace. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. But I want you to see something here very beautiful in verse 7. Zechariah the prophet says, what are you, great mountain? He begins to speak to the mountain. And one of the reasons that we have such a difficult time accomplishing God's task is because we are not talking to the mountain. The mountain is talking to us. So we have to quit listening to the message of the mountain. The mountain is saying it's too big. It's too great. You don't have the strength. You are unqualified. You cannot do it. That is the message of the mountain. Listen, are we going to listen to the message of the mountain or the message of the Spirit? And so we need to begin speaking to the mountain. And Zechariah actually talks to the mountain. Now the mountain is the heap of rubble of Solomon's temple that's been sitting there for all these years. And he looks at that mound and he says, what are you Great mountain, before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. And he begins to speak to that mountain. And he begins to declare God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit over that situation. Let's don't let the mountains talk to us. Let's talk to our mountains. He speaks to that mountain. You see, our words are very important. And in Proverbs chapter 18, it says that our words have the power of life and death. Life and death. So we don't need to talk fear. We don't need to talk depression. We don't need to talk, we're going to lose the house. We don't need to talk defeat. We need to say to that mountain, as the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding me, mountain be moved. Now throughout scripture, mountains always represent obstacles. And this is what Jesus said about a mountain in Mark eleven twenty three. 23. I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen it will be done for him. We need to speak to the mountain. And when we do that, guess what? The mountain will become, verse 7, a great plain. It'll become a great plain. That mountain will move. God wants you to have a mountain-moving faith. A mountain-moving faith. God is the one who smooths those things out by the power 
of his great spirit. So, God wants us to operate with spirit over strength. Spirit over strength. Spirit over strength. I remember when uh, Gene and I first moved to the city of Aurora to begin Edge Church, we didn't know one person in the entire city. And we got our stuff moved in, and, and we, we bought a house, and I, you know we had been uh, in our home a couple of weeks, and one day I felt like I was about to have a panic attack. And I, my thought was, Ryan, what have you done? You left your family, you left your, your other church, you left your security, you left all that, and you came to a place where you're in the middle of the unknown. And I was like, how is that going to work out? I've never felt that way ever before or after. But in that moment, I was completely overwhelmed. And, and I remember a conversation that I had with a, with a pastor friend of mine. He said, Ryan, you know, there's about a, a, a 90% failure rate among churches where the church starter moves to another city and doesn't have a team to work with them. And I was like, well, thank you for the encouragement. You know, I really do. Really do appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you for telling me that after I bought the house, not before. Thank you. But at the same time, I really believe that the Spirit was leading us to start Edge Church. And so we moved here. And you know what? When I look back on the story of Edge Church, I have to say, grace, grace. Did you know God has always provided every single thing that this church has needed. We've been through some lean times. I got to tell you guys, there were some seasons where things have been very, very, very lean. But I could also tell you grace, 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 grace. You see, when you make the sale, you ought to shout grace, grace. When you finish the project, shout, grace, grace. When you overcome your addictions, shout, grace, grace. When you get the breakthrough, shout, grace, grace. When you're scared and confused, shout, grace, grace. When you're frustrated and don't know what to do, shout, grace, grace. Therefore, no mountain, however high, can stand before Zerubbabel, for it will flatten out before him. And Zerubbabel will finish building this temple with mighty shouts of thanksgiving for God's mercy, declaring all that was done by grace alone. That's the living Bible, and I love that paraphrase right there. I have a problem. I have the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit meets my problems, I have to shout, grace, grace. Will you pray with me for just a moment?